Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved disasters. On Marked Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly and stay safe. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Marked Safe. I went to a fair. Yay, and you lived. I survived. No bolts flew off. No bolts flew off. I rode the rides. It was so much fun. And it was for a good cause, which makes it the living on the edge feel a little more beneficial, I guess. Okay. What was the good cause? Um, It was for our volunteer fire department. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Their theme was, um, I think it was like stop, drop, and rock and roll. <laughs> Oh, that's what the branding was for. Yeah, you you sent me a picture that was like stop, drop, and let the good times roll. Or that's something. what was it was. Like, this that's is what... this is fun branding, but I didn't know that it was actually associated with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love it. So they had a big like fifteen thousand dollar raffle at the end of the night. We didn't stay for very long. I didn't. I, we weren't expecting to go. Aria had a birthday party that we went to, and I met a parent. And she afterwards, she was just you know she's packing up. And she goes, "Oh, are you going to the fireman's fair?" And I said, "I have no idea what that is." And she said, "Uh, only the biggest thing our city." has oh shit and i was like oh okay so i went home and then the next day i was like should we check this out i feel like it's our you know civic duty to go to this thing and we did and it was awesome and the kids well, had a blast yeah the last time they've been to a fair was in oregon they were too little to ride rides so i got to talk them into doing some scary stuff hell yeah you did it was fun who okay how did they handle it was anybody a wuss about it Any kids you'd like to shame on a podcast? Well, so the first scary ride that we – well, okay. The first scary ride we passed was one of those little roller coasters and it like goes in the dark. You really can't see what you're signing up for. But this – there was like this really scary bloody zombie on the outside. It was like Tomb of Doom or something like that. Ooh. And I told Cody, I was like, every time we do stuff like this, I'm pregnant. I'm I'm going on a ride, period. Yeah. And I was like, which kid wants to go? And Cody was just like, that's way too scary. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. (laughs) So we kept walking. And then there was another ride called the tornado. And I'm like, okay, this is perfect. Like, I'm a disaster podcaster. I'm riding a sketch ride. Let's go on this. (laughs) So I took Aria and Ava with me. And uh, they handled it really well, except the whole time Ava was screaming, my legs are shaking. They're literally shaking. My oh legs my are literally God. shaking. <laughs> but I got it on film, so it was awesome. And at one point, she was like, they're shaking, brah. They're shaking. They're literally oh shaking. My God. <laughs> oh, God. It's so me. interesting to me, the shit that we justify based on our job as disaster podcasters. Like, again, last we talked last time about how some people are like, oh, so you don't think we should do anything fun? And I'm like... No, we do the most ridiculous shit because we're like, YOLO, bro, we're disaster podcasters. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go out. <laughs> we do out, more dumb shit because of it. You know what? If we're going to go out, it needs to be on brand, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I told Natalie the other day, um, we had a big storm and she was a little bit freaked out. And she was like, I like the storm, but I'm a little bit worried about a tornado. I don't really like tornadoes. And I was like, yeah, I mean, tornadoes suck. I was really interested in them when I was a kid. And she was like... Of course you were interested in them. You're a disaster girl. I was like, well, kid, you're a disaster girl's daughter, so you're going to have to buck up. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. The food was delicious. Gosh, I want to go back. I think – and Cody, you know, he he gets a lot of anxiety with crowds. So he said, oh, we'll check it out for an hour. And he even had so much fun that we were – um we wound up staying like pretty much the whole day. Wow. So that was good. Um, Ava learned a hard lesson about carnival games. Oh, what was the hard lesson? That they basically are there to steal your money. Ah, uh, yeah. So she was very disappointed. We did not win um, any prizes. She actually dubbed them um, carnival games. 
Oh, she evil? made that up. She made it up. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, well, I nominate her the one to take over when we're old and haggard. I thought that was so funny. She's oh just, god, that's amazing. Carnival. So yeah, we didn't win any prizes. She was disappointed. So we had to have a big talk. Um, and I was like, she was like, they just. They took our money. And I'm like, well, let's look at it this way. All of that money is going to go to our fire department, which keeps our community safe. So it's not really stealing. We're helping out someone that, you know, could potentially help us out one day, you know? That's a nice reframing. Yeah. So. I like that. Well, you ready for this bracket? It's time. It's time. We're going to narrow these things down to the final four. Okay. I'm nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know your picks. I think I know. Okay. Them. You're cocky. Let's hear it. I'm usually not this um this sure about something. I'm very sure. Really? Yes. Okay. I feel like this is very predictable. Really? Yeah. See, I now you've triggered me now. <laughs> I don't like to be called predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mysterious. Okay, mysterious. <laughs> First Somebody one. told me yesterday that I'm not mysterious and I, I haven't recovered from it. I feel like that's like on par with someone calling you boring. Right? Everybody Seriously. wants to be a little mysterious. I'm like, no, no, I'm really mysterious. I Trust me. Unfortunately, with someone I am absolutely not mysterious with, but I'm trying. <laughs> okay. All right. Goals. First one. New Year's resolution. New month, new me. Mysterious. Okay. Be more mysterious. Mysterious May. <laughs> mysterious May. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Okay, first one. Poor unfortunate souls versus everybody wants to be a cat. Oh, poor unfortunate souls. Easy. No contest. Okay. There's nothing even to discuss. I don't even really like everybody wants to be a cat. I think it only won because it was up against something stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, poor unfortunate calls. Poor unfortunate souls is a bop and a half. Oh, I love it so much. Is th- is that what you thought? Yes, I got that right. So okay, one out of four. All okay. right. Surface pressure versus the bare necessities. Surface pressure all day, every day. Two out of four. Damn, I'm good. All day, every day. <laughs> um, the bare necessities is another one that rode the coattails of a bad matchup to the final matchup-ish thing. But I fucking love surface pressure. It's hands down one of my favorite Disney songs. So <laughs> all right. easy mode. All right. Next one. Circle of life versus dig a little deeper. Circle of life. Yes. <laughs> it's a classic uh yeah i i have no comment on that unfortunately <laughs> these are so easy i don't even have much to say about them uh, so this is a problematic round thank god we have four <laughs> this is the only department where you're not mysterious how about that okay listen i want to be mysterious in every department <laughs> okay well maybe maybe you'll surprise me on the next one mysterious may go the distance versus a whole new world Oh no, I'm not gonna surprise you. On this one. <laughs> I'm not gonna surprise anyone on this one. <laughs> oh no, a whole new world. All right, so we have our final four. It's poor unfortunate souls, surface pressure, circle of life, and a whole new world. Oh man, that's that's a tough matchup. Yep. Next week, we'll get our final two and then the winner. And then we start our new bracket, Petty Pop Culture Moments. And I'm very excited about this. I am living for that one. It's going to be so good. I'm My brain is on overdrive trying to figure out what I'm going to do for this basket. It's going to be good. It's going to be so good. Is it? Yes. God, I can't even imagine where you would go with that for a basket. It's going to be good. That's why you do the baskets, because you're a... God, you're a fucking genius. I'm doing a chef's kiss about you right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am right now, alone in my living room. (laughs) All right. I was really excited to do this one. It might seem a little all over the place, but it will turn into a two-parter eventually. So, here we go. Ole Kurt Christensen came from a big family. A huge one, in fact. Born April 7th, 1891, he was the 10th child out of an eventual 12. And money was tight. That's how Ole Kirk found himself herding cows and sheep at the age of seven to help bring in money the family so desperately needed. 
Okay, that's bullshit. My seven-year-old won't even bring her backpack in after school. Thank you. I I don't ask much. Put your shoes on the fucking rack so we don't have to spend an hour finding them when you need them. Yeah. Ollie's out here fucking herding sheep. For <laughs> For some reason, we have an ongoing battle about bringing her backpack in after school. And I don't know why. Like, it, it, it takes her literally no effort. And I mean, to be fair, it takes me very little, too. It's mostly the principle of it. But also, I would have to close my front door, walk around to the back, open the door, reach around, get the backpack, carry it in. It's not my fucking backpack. It's not I your mean, backpack. It's not your backpack. It is right next to her. It has a handle. It's not heavy. Literally, just grab the handle, walk out. You're fine. You're fine. The shoes every day. right now. She finds an excuse every day. I have to pee too bad. I need you to get it. Or she'll just not do it. Or I'll tell her to do it and she'll have a big old fit about it. And this little shit is hurting sheep. Okay. I'm going to get some sheep and I'm going to teach her how the other half lives. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's working on the farms, but it was not always all work and no play. Little Ole managed to find time for his favorite new hobby. Wood whittling. Isn't it cute? <laughs> that is an adorable hobby. Mm-hmm. When he turned, I want to be a wood whittler. I, I want to whittle some soap. I always love like seeing videos of people whittle soap. I feel like I could whittle with some degree of success. Let's try it. New hobbies. Okay. New hobbies. So Whittling. So mysterious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mysterious May. Okay. <laughs> when he turned 14, he turned his hobby into a carpenter apprenticeship. Ten years later... Ole, at the age of 24, buys the Billion Working and Carpentry Shop. So the work ethic for Ole is, I mean, it's undeniable. He's already... We don't happen to know his birthday, do we? April 7th. Hold on. I need to know his sign. I think that's Aries. Ole is an Aries. See, Aries, they've got a lot going on. I'm Um, not that surprised by that. I kind of wondered if he might be a Capricorn, but... All right. I feel like he has big... Now that you said that, he's got big Aries energy. Yeah. Okay. Go on. The new business focused on home construction as well as furniture making and was enough to provide a comfortable life for his wife and children. He was extremely talented and Ole Kirk prided himself in his unbeatable craftsmanship. But on Sunday, April 27, 1924, disaster struck the Christensen family. Ole and his wife, Christine, decided to take an afternoon nap, leaving their sons, four-year-old Gottfried and five-year-old Carl George, to their own devices in the workshop. I don't – two parents going off in the middle of the afternoon for a nap. I, I, they're doing Bro, it. They weren't napping. It was afternoon yeah. delight no, for sure. come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? That just seems yes. – so- I was going to say the same thing. I was just waiting for you to finish. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. And what year was this? Uh, this was in 1924. Oh, come on. No. They were sneaking away for some hanky-panky. Yeah, they were fucking. Come on. He was doing some other wood whittling. Oh. Oh. Yes, he was. Okay. I love it. So while Ole and Christine were taking their nap, the two boys boys got into some mischief. In the shop, Gottfried and Carl tried to start a fire in the glue smelter. Quickly, wood shavings, because they're all over the shop, caught fire, which soon consumed the entire shop and the, their adjoining house. Ooh. Miraculously, no one was hurt, but both the family home and the business were nothing but rubble of ash. So, you know the disaster girl meme it the one with the little girl and there's the house on fire and she's got that evil smile yep so little four-year-old gottfried is definitely the (laughs) old-timey version of this meme okay he would later go on to say my first achievement was to burn the workshop and the house down what the fuck he said that out loud what the fuck Mm -hmm. oh no yeah Oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's your legacy. That's what you want to, like, pin your legacy on is that was number one on your to do list. And you fucking did it. You did it. Damn. From the ashes, Ole would rebuild an even bigger workshop and home with the help of his architect buddy, Jesper Jesperson. <laughs> that's a name. Wow. It was back to business until it wasn't. 
As the Great Depression reached Denmark in 1930, Ole found himself with less and less work as new construction would come to a standstill. And one by one, he had to lay off his employees. So there's an animated short of Ole's life, and the short opens with pretty much the downfall of Ole's company. I wasn't expect. I really don't have the right words, I guess, to exp- – maybe it's too upbeat, like surprisingly upbeat. I don't know. <laughs> it opens with his wife, Christine, um, after he's laid off his last employee, and he says to her, I just didn't imagine that it would come to this. And she's just sitting there, like, knitting away, smiling, and she goes, I know. It's hard to understand, but at least now it can't get much worse. Then the narrator, wow. whose tone – Definitely does not match the energy. Happily says, but it did get worse shortly after <laughs> Ole lost his but wife. But it matches our energy. It matches this podcast's energy perfectly. Yeah. He's all like, but it did get worse shortly after Ole lost his wife. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. So, I've never been so uncomfortable in my life. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> What? Oh, my God. In 1932, Christine died of complications from phlebitis, I think it is. Um, what is that? It's an inflammation of veins. Ooh. So I don't know if, like, maybe she had a blood clot or something like that. But ultimately, she, her passing left Ole to care for their four sons alone during the Great Depression. Eesh. Putting food on the table became a real struggle. This is how Ole found himself making small household items like ironing boards and stepladders to trade with local farmers for food. Ole also created miniatures of his inventory as a design aid for production. And sometimes big things come in small packages. These miniatures would soon inspire Ole to start making toys. Ole would use leftover wood to make pull-along ducks, cars, and trucks and doll houses. And when a little thing called the yo-yo became all the rage, he started making those too. But it still wasn't enough, and Ole's business faced bankruptcy. His siblings offered up a bailout loan to help Ole on the condition that he give up making toys. They didn't think it was sustainable. Okay, I don't like their vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like their energy at all. You're going to have a lot of that here. Okay. Ole, he wouldn't get, not give up his newfound passion and soon afterwards enlisted his pyromaniac of a son, Gottfried, <laughs> to help with his small toy business. Ole's persistence paid off and word quickly spread of the amazing quality of his wooden toys. Ole began to rehire his employees to build toys for the upcoming Christmas holiday. I love that, like, he truly truly cared about his employees. So if he had work for them, he brought them back. That's wonderful. Toy sales weren't a huge boost of income for the family, but it was steady enough. Ole soon realized that in order to solidify his business, he needed a little branding. So in 1934, he held a contest offering up a bottle of wine to the staff member who came up with the winning name of their small business. He wanted the name to match his mission, to play well. Or, as in his native Danish language, Ligot, spelled L-E-G-G-O-T. In a move that would make even Count Dante proud, Ole won his own contest, and a little name, and a little known company named Lego was born. Count Dante, hell, that has Melanie written all over it. I love it. he's like he here's won his own contest. He won his own contest. <laughs> I fucking can't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Isn't that funny? Yes. Cracks me up. Like, why hold a contest if you're just going to pick yours? I God, that's so relatable, though. Imagine if you, like, did he give himself a bottle of wine? I hope so. Did he just, like, drink up self? I, I, I hope he poured himself, like, in the words of Johnny Depp, a mega pint and just drank it in front of all of them. Okay, are you following the Johnny Depp thing? Because I wasn't, but Facebook Reels is sucking me in. Oh, every day from the beginning. I have not been, but I'm going to have to catch up. He called her a slippery whore that he used to donate his jizz to. <laughs> it's, it's bananas. The whole thing is <laughs> fucking bananas. It's bananas. I don't even know how else to describe it. But oh my God. I think 
every fucking housewife is glued to court TV right now. It's <laughs> ridiculous. So Ole, he continued crafting his beautiful wooden toys. But in 1942, disaster struck again. Did it involve his son? It was another fire. Okay, come on. <laughs> Listen. Ole, it, man, open your eyes. It wasn't Gottfried. I don't, are, I mean. Are you sure? I'm not sure. How can you know that? Well, I mean, I guess it could be. I don't know. It said, uh, well, on the night of March 22nd, a short circuit caused an electrical fire. Mm. I mean, those could be. Oh, it's sus. It is sus, right? It's, it's real sus. It's real sus. <laughs> Fuck. Ole said, at three o'clock in the morning, one of the young men who sleep in the workshop comes and shouts, the factory is burning. It was a shocking message and painful. I struggled to get a grasp of the situation, but I had to pause for a moment and kneel to God. It was my thanks to him who knows all things, and it gave me peace and quiet my mind. The Grandstead Fire Brigade arrived on scene at the Bellin factory fire, but it, there was not much they can do. I mean, it was completely consumed in flames. Like the first fire, miraculously, no one was hurt, but Ole lost everything. All his inventory, all his toy drawings, all his building plans, it was gone. It was another devastating loss, and he was dealt another blow when his insurance could not cover the cost of construction for a new factory. Ole was ready to throw in the towel, but he knew the loss of the factory just didn't impact himself, but also those closest to him. Quote, only his sense of responsibility for his sons and his employees persuades him to rebuild the factory. His son. His son, man. His son. I mean, that's a really great conspiracy theory. <laughs> I don't, I feel like I'm not even a conspiracy theory person that much. So if I came up with it, it's borderline just reality. Because <laughs> I don't even think like that. But come on. Yeah. I mean, it. you're right. It is us. Ole receives enough money to rebuild from a loan that he took out from the bank, and he was more determined than ever. The new factory was again built at the site of the old woodworking factory and would reopen the following year in 1943. The new, modern factory was built with mass production of toys in mind, and quickly, Ole, Gottfried, and their 26 employees found an incredible rise in production of their wooden toys. Materials were hard to come by towards the end of World War II, and Ole needed to find a solution. In June of 1946, Ole attended a demonstration in Copenhagen that would ultimately change the Lego company forever. He watched in amazement as a plastic injection molding machine produced wonderful little plastic toys. And then a scandal was born. The sales about his pyromaniac son? <laughs> nope. <laughs> different scandal. The salesman of the plastic injection molding machine showed Ole a small plastic building brick patented by Hillary Fisher Page of Kitty Craft. Ole needed this machine and he forked over 30,000 crowns to purchase it. I don't know what the conversion and inflation is on that. So apology. Everything I found was like from 1967 and beyond, but from what I gather, it was upwards to like a quarter of a million dollars for this wow. injection machine. Wow. Injection machine. That sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the cost, Ole's sons, who were now in business with their father, were not happy that he had just spent such a large amount of money on this this thing okay Ole's family needs to get off his fucking nuts they are were they out herding sheep before they could probably talk practically no, no. it's so that weird. was Ole. like could you Do just they keep rebuilding after his degenerate son keeps burning his shit down no no, no. that is Olay. it's Ole. i'm sick of it leave him alone leave britney alone <laughs> Quote, his sons cautioned that the new space age material was too expensive and the possibilities too limited. But Ole, he didn't care. He didn't care. <laughs> this pissed off Gottfried. And so he was like, fuck it. Peace out. I'm, I'm done. And he full on resigned. Ole had the machine brought to his home where he spent his days learning and tinkering with it, making little plastic teddy bears and rattles shaped like fish. But Ole could not stop thinking about the Kitty Craft self-locking building bricks. So he made his own, calling them automatic binding bricks. 
1953, they would be renamed as the Lego Brick. Gottfried, who had returned to work for the company after setting aside differences with his father, was now handling much of the company. It differences. Mm-hmm. Differences in whether you want it to burn to the ground? Yes. Listen. Listen. Gottfried. Listen. Okay. <laughs> In 1954, a purchasing agent told Gottfried that modern toys lacked an idea and system. Simply, there just wasn't any imagination in toys anymore. Something needed to change. Gottfried agreed, saying, I remember my father for him. The system was very, very important to turn the bricks into a system of play. The brick in itself is, of course, a very simple structure. But with a number of bricks, you have endless possibilities. So this is, this is turned basic. This is their mission statement. So the Lego system means that all the elements fit together, can be used multiple ways, can be built together. This means that bricks bought years ago will fit perfectly with bricks bought in the future. It means that a Lego element not only has instant value, but it will keep its value always. We will always make sure that all of our bricks from yesterday, today, and tomorrow fit together. So if you happen to own some Lego from 1955, they still fucking work today with the new stuff. Isn't that cool? That is crazy. It's so smart. I would so not smart. have suspected that. That is so smart. I mean, it really does. I mean, there's your value. I mean, you can yeah. keep using them. You can donate them. You can, you know, if you're buying them off marketplace, like, you know, they're going to work. Yeah. I just thought that was so fucking cool. I do, too. I don't know why I would absolutely not have expected that, but that's really neat. Mm -hmm. Ole died on March 11th, 1958, of cardiac arrest at the age of 66 and would not live long enough to see what a juggernaut the Lego business would become. He would also not live to see yet another devastating fire to his factory on February 4th, 1960. Okay. (laughs) Did you not have this conspiracy as you wrote this episode? Um, well, see, this one is different. Is it? You said that about the last one. And as we unpacked it, not really. Okay, let's unpack this one. Okay? Okay. Okay. The third fire was caused when lightning struck the Lego wooden toy department. Okay, this is going to be a hard one. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not going to stop me from trying, though. <laughs> This is conjecture on my part, but I guess Gottfried, who was now in charge of Lego, um, took this as a sign to move the company forward without the production of wooden toys. The Lego bricks had been gaining momentum and he felt like it deserved the company's sole focus. Okay, okay here we heat. Okay, but it, listen. Yes, this whole time. Bare, no, 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 no. minimum dude's a fire elemental because he's just, he's, 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 he's this is, too many fire-related turning points in his life. It's weird that he's taking this as that particular sign. Something's weird. <laughs> it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. You ready for some more family drama? Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> two, of Co- two of Gottfried's brothers completely disagreed with this decision, and they Ooh. also pieced out selling their company shares to Gottfried, who would <sighs> then become Lego's sole owner. I would be fucking kicking myself if I were them. Oh, my God. The moral of the story (laughs) is put your family drama aside. (laughs) Well, listen, I don't know about that. (laughs) The moral of the story is don't put your family drama aside, but don't sell your shares in a company that's going to be huge. Just stay in it. And fight. It's fine. Just fight. Just, Just fight. fight. <laughs> just punch each other. Fight, fight, fight. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I they could just like, you know, when they get out of the shower, like when the brothers could just throw like Legos on the floor. So they have to <gasps> oh, step on shit. them. Oh shit. Yeah. That's the worst pain in the world, <laughs> stepping on a fucking Lego. And they would have such an ability to do it. Yes. They have endless oh supply. God. Endless yes, supply. Yes. One of them could Listen, one of the brothers who didn't agree could do that as Gottfried is getting out of the shower and be like, you know what, Gottfried, that's how I felt when you threw Legos onto the floor of our future and made that be everything. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome to our podcast, The Capricorner. I am Lynn. And I am Destiny. And we are two Capricorns destined to meet and linked by the same birthday. On our lifestyle podcast, you'll hear about dating, relationships, pop culture, and psychology, Capricorn style, of course. We highlight our different upbringings and life experiences and compare our thoughts on questionable subjects. So get ready for a challenge to your mental fitness and copious controversy. Listen for new episodes on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or click the link in the description. <laughs> the symbolism is beautiful. And I'm definitely picturing these two grown men, like, with bath towels wrapped around their waist and Legos on the floor just screaming at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And they have, like, mustaches. Of course. Like, big, old-timey mustaches. I mean, for some reason, in my head, they're, like, 1910 mustaches, but sure. Yes. No. This is where we're going with it. I like okay. it. I like the bathtub okay. Lego on the floor mustache. I've got a whole scene in my head. Me too. With the new Lego factory built and the toys rapidly growing in popularity, schools and other curious visitors would come in droves to tour the new factory in the 1960s. It would become so crowded in the factory that Gottfried would make plans for and eventually open the very first Legoland theme park in its hometown of Billund, Denmark in 1968. I didn't realize uh, it was that old. You know what his um, his motto in life probably was? What? He probably had this like, he probably had this like written above his bed in, the ha- in his house or something. Stop, drop, and let the good times roll. Because <laughs> he loves it. He's like, hell yeah, stop, drop, and roll. It's going to be so fucking fun. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I can't. I love it. I'm currently working through a part two for this episode where I'm just going to cover Legoland incidents and accidents because there's enough for a full episode. Shit. Um, And I wanted to get your permission first. So we're going to do a weird segue on this. Legoland's going to be next time. But the reason why I, I... am doing Lego at all is because I fell down this crazy ass rabbit hole a couple years ago. Like a Lego hole. Okay. A Lego hole well before we even started podcasting. And I'm like, yes, it's my opportunity to tell this disaster. So we're just gonna pause on Legoland and I'm gonna tell you this other disaster that is kind of shorter and didn't have, you know, it fits in here because it couldn't be a full episode. Okay. So several years ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I somehow landed on this page. It's called Lego Lost at Sea. It's still there. You can still find it. It's been there for, gosh, I want to say since like 2013, 2014. Don't quote me. I I, I don't know for sure. It's been a long I'm gonna time. I'm going to quote you. I'm going to write an <laughs> academic paper and I'm going to say this is the only source and I'm not going to verify it at all. <laughs> I had never heard anything about this and my curiosity was totally piqued. So in February, the page creator, a beachcomber named Tracy Williams, released this beautiful book. It's called Adrift, The Curious Tale of the Lego Lost at Sea. I finally got my hands on a copy and the art and photographer is stunning. The book covers cargo spills and the environmental impacts it has on our oceans with the Lego spill as its highlight. Okay. So it's just like a, it's a pretty disaster book. That sounds right up our alleys. Yeah. Oh, is this what you were talking about in the group that was so pretty, but you couldn't talk about yes, it? Yes. Oh. Yes. I don't know. So I was like, you know what? I, I got it. It was released in February. I finally got it. Let's, let's fucking talk about it. The Tokyo Express was a German container ship built and registered in 1973 It was business as usual, and on February 13th, 1997, the fully loaded Tokyo Express was en route to New York from Rotterdam, Netherlands. But only 20 miles out of the start of their journey, a 28-foot rogue wave smashed into the container ship. I love a rogue wave. Me too! (laughs) For scale, that's the same height as one of the largest dinosaurs to have ever lived, the Titanosaur. 
Okay. Also, this is completely random, useless information. Do you know T-Rex has a wishbone? No. Like a turkey. Man, you could make a hell of a wish on that thing. Right? <laughs> that would be like a, I wish the meteor didn't like on, kill how, us like all. On Tinder, yeah, like how on Tinder there's a super like. Yeah, like how on Tinder they have a super like. That would be like a super wish. It would be a super it's wish. It's going to come true. But you're also cursed because you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> the captain would later describe the rogue wave event as a quote, once in a hundred year phenomenon. The Tokyo Express listed 60 degrees one way and then 40 degrees back the other. Ooh. When I no. right? When I read this, I was really trying to picture what a ship listing at 60 degrees would look like. So I'm going to take it back to one of our most popular episode, Costa Concordia. <laughs> so the Costa Concordia, when she partially sank, she was lying at 65 degrees. So if you just do a quick Google image search on Costa Concordia, that'll give you a great visual of about... Yeah, that was a pretty bad list. Yeah. Miraculously, the Tokyo Express didn't capsize, but it did lose 62 shipping containers overboard. It seems like a lot of shipping containers, and it is environmentally speaking, but the ship was actually carrying 2,800 containers at the time. So it seems that things went about as good as they could considering this gigantic wave the lost cargo would include all sorts of stuff but the initial concern were those containers carrying hazardous chemicals the far monera tugboat which was under contract for the coast guard played a pivotal role in locating the containers that still remained afloat it would also be joined by the falmouth bay tugboat which was chartered by the tokyo express insurers the tugs were aided by a marine pollution control spotter plane of the 62 that went overboard, only five containers were initially found. Farmanera took one pair in tow, but pretty immediately the tow line parted and it, they sank into the ocean. The crew of the Farmanera tug then secured the isolated third container and hauled it over the stern onto the deck with the tug's winch. The Falmouth Bay tug found the remaining two, and after one of the crew was sent over the side to secure a line, they managed to take them into tow. It's, Towing sounds so dangerous to me. Yes, like, it really I does. I feel like it takes a certain type of person to to do this. Oh, yeah. A week into searching for lost cargo, only those three shipping containers would ever be recovered. Wow. The container recovered by the Far Monero had waterlogged paper shredders, which I think is just random and hilarious. So random. The container that the Falmouth Bay tug recovered were filled with white silica powder, which industrial chemists declared harmless. I'm okay. If you say so. Okay. Is that like the stuff in the do not eat packets? Yes. I accidentally dropped one of those in my toilet the other day and it made some really crazy sounds. Okay. I mean, we're supposed to trust the it's scientists. Like this, had a, this, this had to have been very loud. What would it, it do? It was like a, like a very intense, like fizzing, cracking sound. I wonder if that did that in the ocean. I feel like it would have to. I don't know. But next time you have a do not eat packet, put it in a glass of water or something. Shit's wild. Do I have to wear safety goggles? I feel like I should wear safety goggles. I mean, I sure as fuck didn't, but follow your heart. <laughs> well, you weren't planning. Did you intentionally put it in the toilet? <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're... No, but doesn't everyone just keep safety goggles on their person? <laughs> Every time I go number two, I, I wear my safety goggles. Oh, no, <laughs> Melanie. <laughs> We just lost a few people for that one. <laughs> we didn't like them anyway. Other cargo lost at sea. Expensive designer perfume. I do not know which brand. What was expensive in 1997? I don't know. Oof. I don't know. Um, I don't know. There was tens of thousands of cigarette lighters. Like, what the fuck? Just white cigarette lighters. Like, blanks, I guess. God, this is so random. There was beer. Okay. And Lego. Lots of fucking Lego. Four. Okay. I have a thought. Yes. Imagine you're on an, a deserted island and like this shit is what washes up to you. Beer. So, like, what have beer you and perfume. You, okay. Beer and perfume. So you're drunk and you smell good. Um, Lego. So now you're having a good time. 
Uh, silica powder. I'm not sure what you would do with that. Uh, lighters. That's a great thing on a deserted island. Hell yeah, it is. Pa- paper shredders probably aren't going to work, and you're probably not going to have wall outlets. Yeah, but it's shredding stuff. You could take it apart and use it to cut things. <gasps> Ooh, that's smart. See, okay, I need to get stuck on an island with you because you've got ideas. And the shredder, it has a bucket. And you can okay, use we- those buckets as containers, you know, because the, the paper goes in the bucket. Yes, you could poop in it. I guess you've probably figured out your pooping situation by the time you've been there for a minute. Uh, Whatever it is, it's probably fine. No, it's not, because we won't have goggles, safety goggles, <laughs> on our deserted <laughs> island. We're fucked. I forgot in. that's We're needed fucked. when you poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know what we need to do? What? We need to talk to the ghouls. In the Horrible Ghouls group. I plug this every episode. (laughs) And I don't know why. We need to talk to the ghouls. And we need to get them to tell us, like, their five things you would take on a deserted island lists or something and do a mini-set about it. Yes! I love that! I want a deserted island mini-set. We could probably do, like, a deserted island uh, compilation at some point. But I definitely want to know about people's must-take items. Well, now it's a shredder. Stay with us. We'll be right back. In space, no one can hear you scream. Unless you have a podcast. It's Space Castle! Join three nerds. I'm DT. I'm Alex. And I'm Seth. As they hurtle through space, debating movies, books, games, and answering your pop culture questions. All to maintain their own sanity. Space Castle. Your clubhouse and ours for all things nerdy. Available wherever pods are casted. Now it's the truth. That's just you. (laughs) So there was a ton of Legos. 4.8 million pieces of Lego that dropped off this boat. Hilariously, most of the Lego lost overboard were sea-themed from the Lego Aquazone and Pirate sets. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Some of these Lego... It's too good. It's It's too, too good. It's too good. Some of these Lego include... 97 and a half thousand scuba tanks, 26,600 life jackets. Oh my God. 352. You couldn't make this. You can't. 352,000 pairs of flippers and 54,000 pieces of seagrass, amongst other things. There's, there's some dragons. There's like, um, an octopus. It's, hilarious i think it's, it's so perfection this is what drew me in i was like are you kidding me are you <sighs> kidding me soon after the incident the pieces of lego started washing up on the beaches of cornwall lego spokesman at the time michael moore said we are very happy for people to keep what they have but please wash it thoroughly before giving it to children there's always somebody that's fun at parties though <laughs> <laughs> Richard Larn, joint curator of Charleston Shipwreck and Heritage Center, pointed out that not all companies are as generous as Lego. He said, It does not appear to be general public knowledge that beachcombing is an offense under the Merchant Shipping Act and can mount to theft of goods from their rightful owner. Seriously, that's petty. It is right. Not the good kind. Not the good kind. When oceanographer Dr. Curtis Ebsmeyer heard about the pieces washing ashore, he reached out to Lego, who in turn gave him a sample box of these pieces lost from the Tokyo Express incident, as well as a complete inventory of what was actually lost at sea. What a cool keepsake. I'm like low-key jealous that he has You're this. high-key jealous. I'm high-key jealous that he has this fucking box of everything that was lost in this. While most pieces typically showed up on the beaches of Cornwall and still do to this day, they have been found other places, too. Allegedly, even here stateside in Galveston, Texas. No way. Wow. Dr. Esmeyer, who tracks Flotsam, believes that it's possible the Texas Lego piece could be from the Tokyo Express spill, since it matches the drift pattern across the Atlantic. He said... 
The most profound lesson I've learned from the Lego story is that things that go to the bottom of the sea don't always stay there, even when they're in a steel container. They can still be carried around the world subject to the planet's currents and tides. Tracking currents is like tracking ghosts. You can't see them. All you have to work with is where flotsam starts and where it ends up. That's an amazing pull quote. It's so good. Tracking currents is like tracking ghosts. I know. It's like a game recognized game situation. I'm always very I'm always very happy for you when you find a pull quote that's just like <laughs> chef's kiss again. Well, this was easy. It was in the book. So everybody get the book. Yes. While beachcombers love the treasure hunt and finding the elusive black and green Lego dragon and the coveted black octopus from the spill, the impact of all these plastic pieces in the ocean has a much more sad reality. A 2020 study analyzing the structure of the washed up Lego bricks concluded that the 5 million pieces could take as long as 1300 years to degrade oh completely. Oh God. And like all plastic products, the iconic toys will never entirely disappear. Instead, they will break down into tiny microplastics and be consumed by marine animals. Many will make their way up the food chain to humans. Wow. Mm -hmm. I saw in one article during my research um, that said that the plastic breaks down in salt water to form kind of a plastic soup. And yeah, I fucking hate that. (laughs) Yeah, that's not great. Mm Mm-mm. The Lego incident is not an isolated one, and the pollution of our oceans is everyone's problem. Quote, more than a third of the world's 7 billion people live within 60 miles of an ocean coast, and their waste inevitably reaches the water, either deliberately or indirectly. The repercussions of ocean pollution is plenty and can affect things most would not even consider. For example, When Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 disappeared from radar screens in March 2014, quote, satellite images revealed collections of objects floating on the sea surface. Hope soared that they would turn out to be aircraft parts. They weren't. It was all trash. Pieces of broken shipping containers, abandoned fishing gear, and of course, plastic shopping bags. Do you remember that when that was like... Not really. Oh my gosh. It was, it's like the first time like people were like, oh shit, our ocean is like real fucking bad. It was like impeding the search of this, of the plane. We need to cover this flight because it's fucking mysterious. I've been, I've been thinking about it. I've been wanting to. Yeah. But they couldn't find the shit because there's so much garbage in the ocean. I just, ugh. To wrap it up, I want to tell you why I love um, Tracy's book so much. I found an interview and she said, I think what Lego has done is allowed us to sort of tell the story of plastic in the ocean in a way that's not too frightening, in a way that people can identify with. I do have horrible images, upsetting images, a bird strangled in rope. And I think sometimes it can be so upsetting that you don't want to look at it. I get that. It's an upsetting subject. But what what I've tried to do is tell the story of ocean plastic in a way that's not so upsetting. You know, it's not everybody's a horrible ghoul. So if something's like too in your face, you're just going to fucking zone it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like she 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 presents this beautiful book and it like it fucking tricks you cuz you get in and then you start reading it and you're like this is a problem. Wow. I I, I love it cuz I don't know, I think it opens up a conversation. I She's very right. It is like it, and it it feels like something that's too big to do anything about. So it's just so much easier to just, you know, disconnect from it. Yes, yes. And it's not, it's not that big. I mean, there's definitely like simple ways, you know, to do it. But for me, like I've read this to my kids. I've showed it to my kids and it's a great primer for them, you know, because ultimately they're left with the shit we fucking did. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, there's so much stuff, you know beach cleanups stop using single-use plastics i mean there's so much that you can do even if you're landlocked you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah there's a lego part one next one next time we'll do lego land this is cool as shit dude yeah i I, this is cool as shit i feel like you were worried about the structure of this one for some reason but i seriously love this one i thought it was too chaotic just to tack on that last little disaster at the end i don't think it is at all okay I think it works completely. Good. And next time I got Legoland, there's so much good Legoland shit. I can't wait. 
Yeah. Lily went to Lego. My our friend Lily went to Legoland recently, and we always do this when we're talking about our mutual friends. We're like, well, I have a friend. Well, I guess it's I our, guess friend. It's our <laughs> friend. It's Aaron. You know her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, doing that episode next week. <laughs> but then I was like, you're cool. You're cool. Like everything's cool. Just go have fun. Yeah. Stay it's away fine. from this You'll thing. Be fine. Maybe I don't know. I would not have thought there would be an episode about Legoland, but apparently there is. And now I have. Nothing but questions. Well, I will I, I will leave it with this. From my research so far, it would appear that Legoland is probably the safest amusement park that you can go to. Okay. But it's still going to end up on our podcast? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Oh, well... Again, the splash feels a little dicey, but do you want some disaster relief? Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, you want to go first? You want me to? Go first. Okay. I saw a movie, and it was a good movie, and it was Bad Guys. Was it have good? You seen it I have not Are seen your kids it. into the books? I don't even know what it is. Oh my god. Okay, so there's... Um, children's books. I don't know what age they're aimed at, but I mean, it must be around Adelaide's age. She's super into them. And, um, they're chapter books, but they've, you know, got some cute cars. They don't have cute cars, but they've got some cute cartoons in them. And it's about some, um, predatory animals who are bad guys. And I think they're sporadically trying to be good guys. Like there's a wolf and a piranha and, um, a tarantula and, a shark. And, oh gosh, there's one other. Oh, no. Who am I forgetting? A snake. A snake. How could I forget the snake? Don't forget the snake. No. And they, um, you know, th- there's a bit of a, a push-pull in whether they wish to be good guys or bad guys. A bit of inner group conflict. And um, it's a delightful book. And they made a movie out of it. And it was the first, um, kind of that first big my special book that I didn't know was so popular got made into a movie thing for Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that she understands how well known the books are. Like, she just thinks it's something that she knows about and doesn't expect other people to know about it. And then they made it a whole fucking movie. Didn't that, that's was, so cool when that happens because it just feels like it's, it's for you. Yes. Yes. And like, I mean, we've all had that at some point, but it was, um, definitely her first one with that. And it was cool. And we are working on the whole, wholesome divorce thing so my uh in the process of being ex-husband and i and um our friend and her in the process of being ex-husband the four of us went together with our combined children and uh, had a divorce double date i love that yeah it was good it was good um the movie was adorable like really really adorable and uh yeah you should see it you should really you should start with the books and then you should see it. But well, it's in the theater, so maybe not. Unless you're going to speed read, but they are really good books. Mine's my bush. Oh, I knew your bush would make it in here eventually. Yes, let's bring bush back. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your lovely bush. So, during, and I'm sorry if you're tired of me talking about Hurricane Ida. I'm not going to stop. It is still affecting me. Um, but during Hurricane Ida, I have a, car- a gardenia bush and it is lovely um, and it was ripped halfway out of the ground and I thought for sure it was donezo, but it's not this week. It bloomed and it's like triple the blooms it was last year. Your bush is back and bigger than ever. My bush is back bigger than ever. She survived the disaster. A hurricane can't keep your bush down. A hurricane cannot keep my bush down. <laughs> and it smells so good outside. You open it up and it's just, oh, I love it. Oh, that's lovely. I love that when it's lovely. like, hits you in the face, fragrant. Yes. And it's yes. a good one. It's a good one. So that's mine. It's beautiful. He sent me a picture of it and it also gave me distance happiness. <laughs> yeah. You were like, I like how you liked your own photo. Yeah, you sent me a picture and then heart reacted it. And I was like, did I heart react this? I didn't think I'd even read this yet. Did I like come in here, heart react this and then leave without responding? What an asshole. And then I realized, no, no, you heart reacted your own. I hadn't read it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a weird flex. And I think I'm going to try that. You know what? Do it. Do it. 
It makes you a little more mysterious. See, you were questioning yourself. Does it, though? Yes. <laughs> Does it? How do you figure? Because you were like, did I do this? See, I'm mysterious. Then it's making me mysterious to myself. I know. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. Because it'll make you, it'll it'll kind of gaslight you. Yes. In a way. I think I'm with it. Let's just gaslight the fuck out of everyone. Oh, my co-star just um, popped up a notification that says you can close and lock the door on people who hurt you. Goddamn. Well, there we go. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Savage, though. <laughs> Yeah. So on that note, let's wrap up this episode because you've hurt me. No, we have Patreons. We have Patreons. <laughs> okay, I can't actually close and lock the door on you yet. Well, don't. Don't. Don't talk shit. They pay me for this. No, don't lock the door on me. Oh, I won't. I won't. All right, you ready for our Patreons? Of course. All right, so this week, here are your buddies. We have Sarah Nickel and Hannah Schneider. Yeah. Sarah and Hannah, those are very cute friend names. Yes, they are. And you're friends now, so. You're friends. Uh, we have Danielle Gara, I believe, G-A-R-R-A, Daniel Gara, and Lexi Sorum. You two are Also buddies. very cute friend names. Mm-hmm. I like this pair. Uh, Jerry Lynn and Julie St. Don. Ooh, definitely. You guys sound like you're going to go to a beach, maybe get one of those little coconut drink things with them i have some thoughts on the pairings is that the last one no okay we also have god bless it guys we have kelly sharp and Aaliyah mcdonough dono nice. dono let me know i'll redo it what's your thoughts on pairings okay two things i would really love two things one thing would be if one of our pairings eventually becomes a couple and gets married yes please and if that happens if you live in the continental united states i will come to your wedding me too like, I promise, if you can make a love match with the person we pair you with, I will come to your wedding. I'm dying to wear a pantsuit. Oh, you'd be nice in a pantsuit. I want to I want to do some I want to do the pantsuit. Yeah, you could definitely pull off a pantsuit. I still feel like you're really tall. I'm not. You have such tall energy. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Mysterious. Okay, that was my first thought. If it's a love match, I will come to your wedding. My second thought. The other thing that I would just love is, have you ever had a friend where you meet and you have, like, one major thing in common, like, one major um, hard-to-talk-about commonality? Like a niche so you, thing, or? No, like, um, like maybe you've had a both, you've had a weirdly specific tragedy, or you're both, um, you have, like, a major scandal in your life, and you are, like, you barely know each other, and then you talk, and it turns out you have the same scandal in your life kind of thing? Yes! And then, like, you bond so tight, so fast, and you're just like, all right, we are going to completely detour around getting to know you and, like, building a friendship and niceties. And now we are in the deep end with, like, constant conversation and emotionally intimate oversharing. Yes. I would love it if two of you would do that. Yeah. Like, just just skip the line, guys. Skip the line. Cut the bullshit. Skip the line. Yeah. Start. So, please. Did your you, bush get ripped out? Mine too. Mine out? too. <laughs> yes. Did your bush get ripped out? Message each other. You know, get consent for that kind of thing first. You need you need emotional consent yes. for that kind of thing. Also, message each other and be like, "Listen, do you want to?" And if you do, just like drop your actual legitimate deepest secret right in each other's inbox and see what happens. Would it be like a one, two, three, go? Yes, we can mediate so no one is sneaky if we need to. <laughs> You can send us your secrets, and then we can send it to your group chat, and then we can leave your group chat, and then you guys, listen, y'all are going to be close. Trust close me. Close forever. So close. It's happened to me a couple times, and when you when you have that happen, shit. Shit. <laughs> Just drop your, your deepest shit in someone's inbox. Yep. And trust that they're going to drop their deepest shit in yours, and you have already cleared the hurdles. This is my Scorpio moon talking. This is this is my bullshit. This is what I do. Yep. So go donate a secret. Go donate some blood. <laughs> go donate some food. Go donate a kidney. A kidney. <laughs> Start with a secret, though. Start with a secret. All right. Sweet dreams or no dreams. Sweet dreams or no dreams. Hey, horrible ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. 
you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.